Hello and welcome to Crackpot Theories, the podcast where everything is plausible until proven otherwise. I'm Sinead. And I'm Sarka. And uh, have you recovered since the last episode, Sarka, or are you still having nightmares? No. (laughs) (laughs) Will you ever be alright again? Uh, my bill for my therapist is in the mail. You will receive it any day now. <laughs> oh god, uh, I, I guess this is a good time for us to probably plug our Patreon <laughs> or something like that to help us pay for Sorica's therapy bills. <laughs> um, yeah, moving swiftly on. Uh, so this is going to be an unusual episode for us um, this week because we're doing mini theories. And these are theories that do not have enough evidence to back them that would require us to do an entire episode. But we're just going to kind of shoot into the breeze and see what happens. I love these kind of ones because these are the type of ones that just appear in my head at 3am but I can't flesh out enough to be like, Sinead, I have a theory. It's more like, hmm, plausible. Not quite, but plausible? but no <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the ones that come to you in a dream and you just can't get rid of them it's a fever dream well big time fever dreams are the best dreams though <laughs> except for wine dreams maybe wine dreams are always quite fun when you have the fancy cheese and then suddenly like you can visions you know just kind of <laughs> like <Nostradamus. laughs> ta- talking kind of about like uh weird culinary habits after the last episode i mean the the foods that you get that are real like very rare delicacies i mean that must do something to your brain sometimes yeah, you, you know for you to kind of get into the headspace where you think well i have never eaten cheese that is fermented by maggot before so I, I guess I'd better give it a try. Try That is like that is a type of cheese that's actually illegal. Uh, but still people do it and still people eat it. So it's persisted throughout the generations. Thousand year egg. Yeah, the thousand year egg. And um, God, there's... Do you know there's a type of cheese? It's called Nepoise that you are not allowed to carry on public transport. <laughs> is it really smelly? It's super smelly, yeah. It's a public health hazard. Smelly. Like, I really love cheese but i i don't get the super duper smelly cheese like mold and stuff in it Ooh. well do you know there, there there was um there was actually a bit in family guy when brian walks into a room it's i've always remembered it because he's like what's that smell it smells like bad meat or good cheese <laughs> but it's like it, it's that the smelly cheese it smells awful but it tastes amazing that's the I'm, idea behind it. I'm a bit like Wallace and Gromit in that I like Wensleydale. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, I got like, this I got this like it was called double Wensley Wensleydale and it was like made with onions and something else and it smelled like when you opened it it smelled like puke. Oh. Yeah. Well, it was that's unfortunate because I was just about to say that sounds amazing. Oh it like, it, it tasted onions. lovely but it smelled like puke. Hmm. Anywho, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not even a theory. That's theory. just us. Yeah, that's just us talking about cheese. Um. Okay. Well, actually, our first theory is a food-based theory, and this was sent to us by uh, our good friend Michael Fields, who Ooh. has been steadily typing away theory after theory to me. And I always feel like if I use these theories, even though I am giving him credit, it's kind of like stealing from him. So I will reiterate again, Michael Fields was the one who sent this theory to us and we are super, super grateful for being allowed to use it. 
Thank you, Michael. Yes, we, we appreciate your, your support for our mad ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his theory was that um, it's in reference to Cadbury's Flakes, mostly. Okay. You know, not even necessarily Cadbury's Flakes, because there's a couple of different variations of them, but um, the flakes that you stick into ice cream cones. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the concept. I am indeed, yes. Okay, good. Um. His theory was that the ninety nine the, the flakes are made specifically for ninety nine ice creams and that there's no reason for them to actually be in production except that they go with the ice creams because when you think about it, a twirl, a Cadbury's twirl is a much superior product. And that's yeah, that's the flake being covered with a layer of chocolate, like a layer of normal chocolate. Um and he j- just said, like, if it wasn't for the fact that they go so well in 99 ice creams, then the flake would have no reason for being. And, yeah, that sounds like a little bit of a, a kind of a shower thought, almost. Um, But then most of our theories are shower thoughts that we've just put a lot of research into. So, you know, that's but about... it makes sense, because there is that whole, like, conglomerate of the dairy industry, that they're always out... To, to get people to drink more milk and to buy more ice cream and to eat more cheese it, it would make sense that they got in on chocolate because in particular like dairy milk and stuff and Cadbury's use a lot of milk so they're winning double the industry you got the chocolate market and you got the ice cream market but you kind of like think about it this way right um I mean why a flake right when you could probably stick like um a Kinder Bueno or something in there um, yeah, or even just like a, a fragment of uh, dairy milk. But there is a reason why they do this. Um, I actually know quite a bit about chocolate production mm. um, because I work with chocolate myself. I work with um, Coverture chocolate, obviously, for baking. Um, but I know the ins and outs of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do with chocolate. So um, when you're talking about why flakes and why they these are still being made when you could put probably better chocolate into um, a 99 if you wanted to is because flakes are made out of dehydrated chocolate um, they're actually a byproduct of the making of other chocolate bars so what you do is you pour your chocolate into a mold so let's say do you know the ones where they'd have a logo imprinted on them like Kit Kat? Yeah. Or something like that. Or Twixes. You know, you pour them into their, their set molds with all of the other things that you put in there. And then you get this massive palette knife and you scrape it off. You scrape off the little fragments um, that come off the, t- the top of the molds themselves. Yeah. But that chocolate has been tempered. So the flakes that you're scraping off are very dehydrated. They That's why they maintain their flaky appearance. And the most interesting thing about these fragments is they don't melt because they're dehydrated. Mm, so they'd last a lot longer. They are the raisins of the chocolate world. <laughs> but you see, this is where it comes into the 99 ice creams. Uh, one of the uses you could get for making a chocolate bar specifically out of the flakes is that it's lower calories. Um, so if you've got if you're on a diet and you have a chocolate craving, you get a flake. But that's not enough to keep the flake industry um taken along uh, so you pour a sheet of normal chocolate over it you get a twirl bar but if you want to just have it as is it's the best chocolate to put into a 99 ice cream cone because when are you eating ice cream when it's hot exactly 
And I mean, how do you eat a 99 usually? Um, I like the little boats, to be honest with you. You know where they have the, the two swirls and they put the flake in, but they don't have the cone? Because I'm terrible whenever I eat ice cream. I take a very long time. So like the cone always gets really soggy and icky. So I like the little boats. And then I always eat the flake first because I'm a chocolate fiend. Okay, <laughs> that's funny because I always eat the flake last. I eat all the ice cream first. And then just as I'm kind of getting to the bottom of the cone itself, uh, I eat the flake. But the like as the ice cream is melting, the flake stays normal, even on the hottest days. True. And because as well, like the ice cream itself is very high in calories. So and you know, if you want to put extra stuff in there, if you want to like sprinkles and syrup and all the rest and you still want your head of chocolate, then the flake is probably the least calorific way that you can do it. Mm, sprinkles. Do you know when I was growing up though, like a ninety nine ice cream cone was a massive treat. Like it was a, it was a super luxury treat like you, you get the the normal ice cream cones with no flake but then if you got a 99 oh you know it's it's like a Ferrero Rocher moment oh with, with these 99 flakes you're really spoiling us kind of thing I don't know what it is about me as a person but I seem to have an unnatural talent of like summoning ice cream trucks oh, wow Okay. Um, let me explain. Yes, please do. In the past three houses that I have lived in, in three houses, the ice cream man will stop right in front of our front door every time they stop by in the past three houses, in three different areas and in two counties. Oh, wow. Um, are they still doing it? Yes. In the new house, he literally stops beside our garden and... It used to be very, very bad in my last house before I moved bunkers, <laughs> where you would just be using the bathroom because it was in the front of the house, and then suddenly you got do 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 ice cream man. <laughs> that sounds like you make it sound like Mad Max. <laughs> so I'd be like I'd be having a shower or something, and then he sneaks up and only plays the jingle just when he is outside of our house to give me a bloody heart attack. <laughs> but in our new house, the ice cream man also stopped in front of our house, and in the house before our previous one, also literally pulled into our driveway every time. So I have this unnatural honing ability to be like, hmm ice cream trucks we got really lazy in our old house where we used to just go out to the ice cream truck guy to like buy bottles of coke because we didn't want to go down to the shop <laughs> that's amazing he um used to look at us really badly but anyway <laughs> sure, sure he can't judge he probably you know it's it's money why would he be judging you maybe he just had one of those faces um, Nobody needs to stop three times a day outside of one house. <laughs> okay. Well, you di you didn't buy from him all three times he stopped, did you? Oh God, no. <laughs> okay. Um. Well. Well, then he can't judge you too much. Um. Yeah. God, where was I? Um. We. Well, aside from the fact that we have no ice cream man where I live. If if I want ice cream, I have to walk up to the shop using my legs. Um. Anyway, yeah, so getting straight back to it. Um, one of the kind of... 
yeah, an, in, an interesting thing that happened uh, was a person that I was living with she wanted to like she had a bake sale that she was making something for and um, I, she didn't actually have any recipes and I just said to her well why don't you do chocolate biscuit cake it's easy and the people like it a lot and she said yeah that's a great idea so I advised her to not get the Scott bar types of chocolate like the cooking chocolate because um, that stuff is um, partially vegetable oil that's why it melts the way it does it's um it's you know it's fine for a kind of a like a home cooking project it's fine to practice on but i'm always an advocate of using really good quality chocolate in anything that you make so i say you know go into a shop where they're selling like a bag of dairy milk bars for um two euro or something like that and use them instead um you know because i take pride in my baking and i'm always like if i'm making a chocolate biscuit cake it's going to be good quality chocolate kind of way I, I, I'm a chocolate snob um, <laughs> but she did she went in there but what she bought was twirls and you see you can't melt a flake because it's dehydrated chocolate it won't melt mm. at all now on a twirl the outer layer of chocolate will melt because that's tempered chocolate and that will melt if you uh, microwave it also I never advocate um, melting chocolate in a microwave for any reason you shouldn't do a lot with microwaves that people use microwaves for. Good point, yeah. Um, I mean, I used to microwave my cardigans on really cold days. Like, you see people who don't own kettles microwaving water to put into tea and stuff. And okay. I know that's a very American thing, and I don't know why. Maybe it's the Irish in me that just has a very strong reaction to that. Ah, oh, stop. Um, I mean, there's a TikTok going around of um these like an American mother and daughter showing how they make tea and their first step is they um put in put the cup of water in the microwave and then all the TikToks are just these people reacting to it in just absolute horror and just going, No, no, why would you do that? No kind of way. Um but to get to the point anyway, she you know, she'd worked with chocolate before, um now, what you're supposed to do when you're melting chocolate is you melt it in a bain marie over a, a pot of water, simmering water. Uh, and you always have to make sure that the bowl doesn't touch the actual water itself. You, it's steam. Um, but I, I talked a bit about tempering chocolate in one of the last episodes and I'm not going to go too into it, too in depth into it in this episode because we have other theories we need to talk about. But basically what happened is the inside of the chocolate bar did not melt and every time she checked on it, it still hadn't melted. So she kept putting the bowl back. So eventually the chocolate from the outside of the twirl started to burn but the chocolate on the inside never melted. So what happened was it created a little volcano inside the microwave that filled our kitchen with the worst smelling smoke I have ever smelled in my life, except for that time that I accidentally uh, burned the bottom off of my bread machine. Oh, dear. So the smell that came off of it smelled like burnt plastic. That just sounds every level of unpleasant, really. The shame against chocolate. It was. I, I was surprised to find that bits of it weren't on fire, giving the smoke that was coming <laughs> off of this thing. It's awful. And I just, and you know, I said to her afterwards, I was like, uh, why did you do that in the microwave for like this long? She goes, the inside was melting. You told me to get chocolate. And I was like, <laughs> not this chocolate. This is dehydrated chocolate. It's never going to melt. Um, But, you know, you live and learn. 
anyway. So, so anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that was that theory. Um, uh, and that clocked in at a respectable fifteen minutes, possibly. <laughs> I I I think the first five minutes was just rambling about nothing. But um, do you have a theory for for this episode? I do. Uh, speaking of ice cream, you. Um, this is a very loose theory that I came up with that I just couldn't find enough solid evidence that didn't make me sound like I was a raving lunatic. Um, but sounding I, like a raving lunatic is the best part of this podcast. But usually, usually we have some knowledge and some facts and some, hmm, that is a quite interesting idea going on. Um, this was just me being weird. Um, okay. So I was sitting down one day to watch Frozen, as you do, that wonderful Disney movie that uh, plagued us all with Let It Go for many, many, many years. Yes. And as I was watching through it, a lot of things kept twigging in my head. That's like, where is this set? This is reminding me an awful lot of Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you haven't played Skyrim, have you? No, unfortunately I'm not good at video games that require me to be in any way competent. <laughs> right. I absolutely love Skyrim. I have clocked hundreds of hours into Skyrim. I have bought the game physically about six times. <laughs> <laughs> For various reasons, like I had to have it on the PlayStation, I had it on the Xbox 360, I had it on the PC, then I had to buy it on the second PC. I just, I've bought it a lot of times because sounds like me I with Katamari. absolutely love Skyrim. Sorry, it sounds like uh, me and Katamari. <laughs> yes, except, basically. Except Katamari isn't available on all the places I want it to be available in. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm happy for you and for your, your Skyrim habits. So Skyrim is set in a continent called Tamriel, and Skyrim is like the con the country of Skyrim, and yeah. it's a very barren country. It's very cold. There's it's very mountainous. Um, there's a lot of water to one side of it, and it's one of those countries that just looks kind of grey and miserable and has very little going on in its wilderness but they also have things like magic mages dragons and all of that that gives it the spice of life <laughs> but they have um a lot of strongholds like uh what? windhelm windhelm and as i was watching frozen for i think it was like the hundredth time i just started to be like this could so easily be in Skyrim or set in Tamriel. It's actually ridiculous to the point that you look at Elsa. Yeah. And I, this is not including Frozen 2 because I have not seen it. Okay. I haven't seen Frozen 2, but I know that there's many really explanations that throw my theory into the wind, but not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Elsa seems to be born with these unnatural ice powers. When in Skyrim, 
one of the main classes of mage that you can do and one of the main magic that you can use is actually ice. Ah. And it comes out of your hands the same way that Elsa does when she uses her ice powers for the first time. It just shoots out of her hand in this mist to become ice. And she runs off into the mountains and creates like this ice castle when there's a lot of um, ice caves and stuff in Skyrim, her little ice golem, there's things like that in Skyrim that you have to fight and defend and defeat. Yeah, um, I have seen that much when I've watched other people play it. There's a lot of like rock trolls and stuff like that. And it's just, it would make so much sense. And what really tweaked it for me is... One of them, I think, said that they were from the Southern Isles. Ah! Which are locations in the Elder Scrolls. So, um... Beautiful. When I was looking at it, I was like, wait a second. Is Elsa a Dorvagin? That would be amazing. I, I Like, from the trailers, I can kind of ascertain that she's got, like... She's getting some kind of water power of some sort. She's, like, made a horse out of something. So I think it's to do with, like, she can control all the elements. She's more like an airbender. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's, a, she's, she, she's the avatar. <laughs> but, yeah, that would be really interesting because the Dovahkin does something similar. But even given, like, their type of dress their type of like their building styles it would be set around the same timeline yeah it's vaguely scandinavian frozen is significantly more colorful than than skyrim i think skyrim's color palette is various shades of gray a yeah. little bit of green and a smidge of blue um it's very very dull and muted colors but and Frozen is very brightly coloured, but we could just say that that was their filming technique. Well, do you know, um, I mean, if you want to push this a little bit further, um, obviously, like, Skyrim doesn't exist and neither does Arendelle. So we can't say that there wasn't some sort of massive cultural shift because Skyrim looks vaguely medieval, you know. So yeah. you're, we're talking maybe 13th century. And then uh, you could argue that um, Arendelle around the time Elsa becomes the queen that's kind of in the 18th century so you've yeah. got you've got a span of about you know three four hundred years maybe in between both of those um so you could say that um Frozen is the aftermath of the Elder Scrolls when most of the Elder Scrolls have kind of faded into memory that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because there was a lot of, in Skyrim, there's a lot of power shifting and it's all about like a rebellion and stuff going on. So it could be the aftermath of that that they eventually put Elsa on the throne, which would be interesting because, yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> yeah, because like in, in Skyrim itself, like Skyrim taking place after Oblivion, after Morrowind, after all of them. And like, are there dragons in Oblivion and Morrowind? Because I think in in Skyrim it was like, oh, the dragons have returned after many, many years. To be honest with you, I'm not well versed in the rest of the Elder Scrolls series because I'm a filthy casual. Um... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could tie the whole, the whole both of these franchises together 
quite easily if you put a decent enough time span where you know this is all the stuff that we've kind of conveniently forgotten about and this is where what used to be Skyrim has now been turned into um Arendelle you know in the same way as um this used to you know this used to be Czechoslovakia now it's the Czech Republic and that's Slovakia kind of way kind of an iron yeah. curtain deal <laughs> you know because like even given if you look at the location of Arendelle, where it's on this big port and there's a lot of uh, mountainous regions around it, there are places in northern Skyrim that look like that, that have these huge cliffs. It's very snowy and it very, very easily could place Arendelle and it would fit if it wasn't so colourful. <laughs> yeah, but then the... Take down the desaturation of it it fits perfectly i'm telling you <laughs> um yeah i mean even the the color palette could just be an environmental shift you know that um the fact that it was like there was a time period where england was warm enough to grow wine like grapes to make wine um and it's not like that anymore that was kind of like i think that was present in around the tudor dynasty so um, I mean, you could say the climate change has quite a bit to do with this. Maybe that's why there's no dragons anymore, from what we can see. Global. Yeah, yeah, ancient global warming. Uh, yeah, actually, maybe that's kind of like what the people who had Elsa's powers were responsible was for climate change. And like, in Frozen, there's a lot of things in it that wrecked my head from an in-universe situation. Like, nobody ever talks about the fact that Elsa literally creates life. Yeah, big time. She's a... Like, I was about to say she's a necromancer, but no, that's not the right word. She's, um... Like, she's... What's the word? Well, she basically Frankensteined all of those little snow creatures. Because in Skyrim, there are certain spells that you can use to summon, like summon creatures and summon deities and restore the dead and things like that so actually yeah I'm so, I'm so sorry I interrupted you again um sorry I'll get this out of the way um maybe it wasn't a case of her actually making life but her summoning life from some other dimension yeah exactly because you can do that in Skyrim and it's it's actually really fun there's a great um great glitch you can technically do with it where you can just summon like trolls and stuff it's very fun um, <laughs> but uh, I could see Elsa if she was actually part of Tamriel and she had the powers of the Dovahkiin that she literally just summoned a creature and then went oh my god I've created an actual snowman does this mean I'm god it means no you've access to portals one thing, this is not to do with the theory, but that has always bugged my husband in particular about uh, Frozen. Yeah. Is technically when Elsa makes her big palace, that implies the existence that Elsa made teeny tiny ice door hinges. <gasps> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> she made door hinges. I'm just like And technically then she also might have made flying buttresses. 
to flying support... buttresses, there would have to be like structural situation. Does is does it have a bathroom? Is there plumbing? She was there for quite a while. Like, would she sleep in an ice bed? How does she not get like hypothermia? Although she said that the cold doesn't bother her. Where does her clothes go when she does the magical transformation? Her clothes just vanish. Does that mean she has teleporting powers? <laughs> what did she eat? She was up there for a significant length of time that she would have had to at least have one meal. Yeah, good point. There, there's a lot of inconsistencies, but if we worked at it hard enough, we could probably explain them all the way through Skyrim. You see, on Skyrim, you can literally live on a thousand wheels of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sleep you don't eat you just wheels of cheese <laughs> okay yeah that that was beautiful um i mean that sounds like a theory that we really should workshop sometime but um there's not a single toilet in the entirety of skyrim <laughs> <laughs> okay it's it's not like fable <laughs> There's no toilets in Fable either. Yeah, you go looking for them. But I digress. Um, there are a lot of things that just pop into my head, and that was uh, one of them. It wasn't a very solid theory, but it was fun to discuss, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, th I thought it was fairly solid, but do you want to move on to a new theory now? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so this next theory kind of occurred to me because um, recently I went to help a mutual friend of ours move house. Um, now I've moved house, tr like the last time I moved house, I ended up doing it twice within the space of about five months because we sold our old house and then we bought the new house. But in the interim, after getting out of our old house and going to the new house, the new house wasn't quite ready. So we had to rent a house in between that we put all our stuff in and we were there for about five months. So I had to pack up everything and unpack and then pack up everything again. Had to do it twice. It was not pleasant. Mm. And I know you've moved a whole bunch of times. I have because of um, the, where I went to college that you had to literally move every semester. Um, so I think I've moved about 15 times, 16 Ugh. times in my life. <laughs> quite a lot I'm, I'm well versed in uh ye olde moving and packing it, it sucks <laughs> it it really does and then um the other thing that really sucks is decluttering oh yeah definitely but you know every couple of years there comes along somebody who has this uh revolutionary new way of kind of decluttering and tidying up your house so like back in the 90s they had um kim and aggie on how clean is your house Oh yeah. Kind of thing. And then um one of my old kind of guilty pleasures is I used to really love watching Hoarders. Oh my god, I absolutely love that show. Yeah, me too. Whenever I, I wanted to get motivated to clean and I wasn't really feeling in the mood, I watched a couple of episodes of Hoarders first and then I was like, Oh, must he contaminate everything? <laughs> um and then the most recent one has been um uh, Marie Kondo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is, is it Marie or Marie? It's Marie because she's Japanese. That's also true, yeah. Yeah, so uh, she's Marie Kondo. Um, and then her method of cleaning up is called KonMari. Um, and it's this revolutionary new system that, that lets you get organised. And kind of, I do like Marie Kondo's method because it's more joyful. Whereas, you know, Kim and Aggie were very judgmental. 
and um in not you know not in a horrible way but they're all just very much like oh look at this mess this is terrible kind of thing and then hoarders is all kind of like you're you're walking into the lives of human disasters like i feel very bad for some of the people on hoarders because you can clearly see that they're suffering from mental health crisis and they need like professional help with things i do feel sad sometimes but then there was that lady that kept buckets of poop oh yeah you're just like these are the craziest and wildest of humans and well it's kind of fascinating yeah it's um it's one of these things with hoarders especially you kind of you get the people who have very disorganized brains and i think you and i specifically can empathize with this with these people because we kind of hit the triftica of the the risk of being a hoarder is that uh first of all we lead very busy lives Mm. second of all we are creative people and third of all we collect things i do i am a chronic collector it's if ever you see me on an episode of hoarders i'll just be under thousands and thousands of euro worth of ponies (laughs) (laughs) no but you know that's where the line is the line is you know can you objectively look at these things and be able to kind of you know move them on to a new to a new life or throw them out without having to think about it too much and you're like well yeah listen if i had the time and the inclination and uh, I was able to do it. I would totally do it. And then these, but these people that are on the show hoarders, or who ended up being on Marie Kondo's one, are just kind of like they're kind of stuck in that that dead zone where it's like, you know, this is also overwhelming. I can't conceptualize it. And that is like kind of where when I went up to help our mutual friend pack things, that's where she was because there was a lot of work to do. She was doing it by herself. She was very tired um, and then when I got in there, I had fresh energy and I was just like, ah, it's fine. I'll just, you know, uh, clean out your cupboards and then we'll be fine. No bother. Because this is where the theory comes in, right? There is no new revolutionary system of tidying up. The real way to get a place tidy is to have somebody else do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, but you see, this is like, like um, Marie Kondo's method was just, it was more joyful. Kind of, she went in there and said, oh, you know, this is messy, but this is all wonderful stuff that you had and that you felt connected to. You can thank it for its service and then move it on. So she's really tackling the kind of the sentimental part of, of the issue because yeah. you keep these things because you like them. They bring you joy when you look at them. They spark joy, as they say. And, you know, this object does not spark joy. Therefore, you must throw it out. But then, you know, get a person who for, who none of this stuff is going to spark joy for them. Not necessarily. They've no sentimental attachment to any of this stuff. Because when you're looking at the stuff that you've built up, you know, you take out a piece of paper and it's got like an, an appointment written on it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was when I was in the hospital. And then you sit there reminiscing about it for two minutes. And you do that with everything you come across. The process takes ages but if you're a person who has no sentimental attachment to any of this stuff like um when i got to the house i was looking at the cups and there was a lot of cups and glasses in there and uh, we couldn't leave them behind because um landlord wouldn't um would only allow a certain amount of things to stay behind if they were useful so i looked through the cups and i just went okay uh, can you pick a few of these that you're keeping i'll take these few because you don't want them anymore and you have no sentimental attachment so i just bundled them all up put them into bags and i was done in five minutes 
Whereas if you were a person who actually owned these mugs, you might kind of sit and look at them and go, do I have room for this? Where the hell am I going to put this? You have a little, you have a little personal freak out about it. But then, you know, what I think the best system would be is if you bring in, when you want to declutter your house or you need to move, gather a couple of your friends and they will put you in a chair with a cushion and a blanket and every now and then somebody will give you an, a, a nice drink or something like that and they will go through your house and they will package it all up and they'll do it in three times the speed that you would be able to do it yourself even more times the speed of that and then you repay the favor the next time somebody else needs that done yeah that makes a lot of sense <laughs> i should Sometimes market this overwhelmed it, it is. That's the problem. It's the overwhelming nature of it. But, um, I mean, that's the thing with hoarders. Whenever they, in the hoarders episodes, you bring in the psychologist first and the psychologist talks about um, the issue with the person who has been hoarding and kind of asks, well, what what went on here? What, what's, what do you think is behind this? Um, and they don't react with fear or disgust, really, unless it's a very extreme situation. They're non-judgmental. And then when they bring in the actual personal organisers, they've got such nice, happy energy. Dorothy Brenninger, in particular, who's worked on a whole bunch of hoarders' houses and is just a wonderful human being, she is not phased by anything she sees. And she just picks things up and puts them away and organises them. And then if she sees something that's kind of... You know, it looks like it might have sentimental value. She brings it out to the hoarder and just says to them, uh, yeah, what what would you like us to do with this? No judgment. She just gets in there and gets the job done and remains that ray of sunshine. And that's what you need. I think that's what everybody needs because cleaning and decluttering, that's a crappy job. Yeah, it really is. But if you can get your friends in to help you and do it in the least stress-inducing way possible then it just makes everything so much more pleasant. I remember when um, we were just moving into the new house, I I was trying my best to get as rid of as much unnecessary stuff as I could. And I properly went into the, uh, to the Marie Kondo zone where I was like, okay, does this spark joy? <laughs> and I was trying really hard to do that, and I actually did manage to get through an awful lot of stuff. But what made it really easier for me is that Phil was the one handing me things, and then I was deciding if it was going out or not. So having a, a, another person there to be like, well, what do you think about this item and stuff? You get the choice of to keep it or not. It, it actually helped an awful lot. Yeah, so, there you go. You don't have to think or ponder over everything that you're picking up if it's not yours. Yeah, you get the, you get the choice. I yeah. Mean, like, it's a more item A, item B kind of thing. It's, yeah, and you know, I, I found once I went up there, like, um, you know, uh, our friend had been, do she'd been at it for a couple of days and she was exhausted. But I came in with fresh energy and it was 1am by the time we we kind of finished up and I was just like, okay, yeah, you, you can't go any further. You go to bed, I'll do a little bit more and then I'll go to bed and then we'll get up early in the morning and we'll finish everything off. And we did and it was nice and efficient that way. But you do kind of need that other person to kind of help you keep your spirits up. Mm. 
but you I, need your extra battery. <laughs> they will be the battery for you when you're out. <laughs> but you know, wouldn't wouldn't it just be such a nice thing where you could organize a system where you know your friends will come in and help you declutter your house, with the um, caveat that you have to help them do it at another time. And you make it a nice experience for them. You buy them a pizza. You all sit down at the end of the day, watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Because <laughs> that's what we ended up doing at the end. Because uh, we transported all our stuff cross country. Um, I had to call my father up to drive us and her cat across the country. And we ended up hanging out in my house, just kind of like eating chips and watching RuPaul's Drag Race. And it was a nice kind of happy atmosphere when it could have just been absolutely exhausting and kind of emotionally difficult because it's the end of one phase of your life and the beginning of a new phase mm, but so the, scary <laughs> yeah but then when somebody's there to kind of share the stress that's why at the end of all the hoarders episodes the people are all just kind of overwhelmed by how good things were by the time they finished because they had that nice positive energy and that kind of no judgment as well yeah, we need everyone needs a a hoarder's lady or everybody needs a Dorothy Brenninger in their life. <laughs> yeah, but like, be... yeah. Sorry, um, no, you you go. I've interrupted you again. I'm sorry. No, it it would actually be. I wonder if there is occupations like that, say in Ireland or like the UK or. Places that aren't necessarily American, because I feel like it would be a very easily to get in America, because most things are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I there there are actually professional declutterers. But would you be able to get them over here? I wonder. Yeah, I think there's a few different companies in Ireland that do, that does it. Um, I'm just obviously I'm always thinking about this is for people on a budget. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. so when you don't, like, obviously people who can afford to get um, professional declutterers into their house are the kind of people that don't necessarily have a huge amount of clutter in the first place. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah, e- exactly. Um, But I, th- I think for kind of people who can't really afford that kind of thing, you kind of have to rely on your friends and family or at the very least rely, rely on the people that you know aren't going to judge you for kind of how much clutter you've let build up over the years. And it's a very emotional thing as well. It's it's nice when you have somebody there that understands that it's an emotional process. Yeah. I'd imagine hiring somebody to come in and do it, they wouldn't be as sensitive about it, especially if you've been in a place for a very long time. Like in our last house, we were there for four and a half, four years. Yeah, I think I recall it being about four years. So it was emotional leaving because it was like we were there for a good few years. And yeah, it's it's nice to have somebody that's sympathetic to the, that it's a big change. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, I mean, that was barely a theory, really. Um, but it, it just, I guess, like my baseline theory was that uh, all, all of the cleaning shows and the cleaning advice that you see everywhere, it just all boils down to the same thing get somebody else to do it <laughs> that's that's your life advice for this episode is um you you don't need to buy a book you don't need to buy any special <laughs> marketed boxes you don't need to build any organizing systems just find a good friend who is non-judgmental promise them free pizza 
in order to get them to help and also promise them that you will do the same for them someday and you will have that problem sorted out straight away and you will save money. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> okay, uh, well, that's the end of that theory. Do you have another one for us? I really don't. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, Well, listen, we've actually managed quite well, <laughs> given that we're about 45 minutes in. Uh, I do have one more, and um, it, it's an incredibly silly theory. Um, okay. and, and I could have more evidence. I could have workshopped this into a much bigger episode, but I think it's more fun to just leave it kind of loose. And that is um, that throughout the entirety of the Lord of the Rings films, specifically the films, not necessarily the books, but throughout the Lord of the Rings films, Legolas does not want to be there. Okay. And he only volunteered for the mission because he has had some recreational fun with substances before attending that meeting. And he agreed to something that he didn't, and he didn't realize what a big thing it was going to be. Because if you if you look at him in any of the scenes where he's not kind of like you know front and center, when he's just kind of in the background, he looks so confused. He's staring off into the distance, a little bit wall-eyed. Just <laughs> yeah, he's no idea what's going on. He's scared. <laughs> With his little eyebrows furrowed in confusion, it's like. <laughs> are these my feet <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing right like you take the the scene that we kind of first see him in is uh the council of elrond yeah um and you see this makes me think that he has been pre-gaming <laughs> okay because um i mean taking into account the times that i've pre-gamed and strange decisions that i ended up with um in the course of the rest of that night so he gets to the council and, you know, he's there and there's his, his good friend Aragorn, who he knows is named Aragorn and not Strider. And he's just like, ah, my friend's here. Listen, I just have to, like, sit through this meeting and then I can go back home and do whatever. But you can imagine that if he was going to Rivendell, maybe he knows people in Rivendell and he just kind of, you know, ha had a nice night with them the night before. You know, did some things to relax. Um, You know, had... Uh, uh, tobacco that the Merry and Pippin were constantly smoking. I do think it was probably a good bit stronger than that because <laughs> the effects of it linger well into the rest of the films. <laughs> but, you know, he's sitting in the council and he's kind of like wide-eyed and just going, oh, oh, this is, you know, this is great. I'm here with my friend. We're hearing about a ring. I don't know what's going on. But all yes, I... Those people are awful small. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just like oh okay i just have to sit here and be quiet and then it'll be over and then i can go back home um yeah and then all of a sudden this other guy is kind of you know dissing on his bro you know talking about how aragorn's not the real king of gondor and uh legolas is just like he's no mere ranger he's your he's your rightful king he, you know he wants to defend his friend he wants to defend his bro about to start a bar fight. <laughs> Big time! That is the energy he's given. But that that is purely the energy is that he he's um you know he's rearing for a fight and then the dwarf is just making things worse, and you know if he'd been in his right state of mind he might have just kept his mouth shut or at least stayed seated, you know, <laughs> in, in a bit of dignity. 
Um, but then, like, once uh, Frodo does the whole thing, he says, oh, I'll take the ring to wherever. And, um... Mordor, Sinead, Mordor. <laughs> I, I know, but I'm trying to hear this through Legolas's ears. You know what? <laughs> I thought you didn't know, and I'm just like, it's Mordor. <laughs> How many times have you ever heard of me not knowing exactly where something is, or what something is? That's fair <laughs> <laughs> oh dear god i th- that made me sound very up myself i'm so sorry um i am significantly less learned than i make myself out to be but um yes i i, I know where they were throwing the ring um anyway moving very swiftly on so he's just like his friend his bro is gone he uh i'm going to help you do this mission you have my sword and then he's just like okay i guess i'd better like make a gesture too ah you have my bow and then the dwarf's like, and my axe. So he's like, oh god, now I can't back out. Otherwise, you know, the dwarf is going to think I'm some sort of coward. <laughs> and that's how he, that is how he ended up on the fellowship. Because he signed up for something and he thought, you know, ah, this will be great crack. I'm going with my bro and some little people and that's ah, going to be fine. We're going to throw a ring in a volcano or something. How hard could this possibly be? And then for the rest of the film, he's just like, what have I gotten myself into? What is going on? Who is chasing us? What is that? Where am I? Who is this? What are they? I've never felt more of a kinship to Legolas because <laughs> that's basically what happens to me on a daily basis. <laughs> I never listen thoroughly enough and then I agree to things and then I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like any time he kind of pipes up to speak in the film, he's usually pointing something out. So it's like, a, oh, there's a bunch of crows coming this way. We'd better hide. Or, you know, um, uh, God, what's the other one? They're taking the hobbits to Heisengard, obviously. There's <laughs> some smoke over there. It's just, but it's, he is desperately trying to seem useful so that people don't figure out how how incapacitated he actually is but you know one time um when i was in new york um i ordered a couple of long island iced teas in a bar and i didn't realize how strong they were so i drank like five of them um, during the day and uh i didn't want to make out that i was as drunk as i was um but the people i was with decided that they um they had to go into you know that shop that's it's like it's a shop, but it's also a pharmacy, and they're all over America. Walmart? No, no, no. It's it's like supposedly it's actually a pharmacy, but they have stuff that you wouldn't find in the pharmacy over here. Hmm. I, I forget. I, I, I know the shop you're on about, but for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, it, it's it's like CVS, but it's not CVS. But they they were dotted absolutely all over uh, New York, and for whatever reason, the people I was there with found this fascinating the stuff that you can get in a pharmacy in america oh my god this is great we have to buy all of these medical supplies and bring them back with us i i don't know but i was so drunk and i just started finding absolutely everything in the shop funny like it's just like kind of 
you know, this is a pharmacy, but I'm just, you know, what's this? There are magazines over here. There's toys here. What the hell is going on? And I was just cracking up laughing. But then I realized, like, they had security cameras. So I didn't want to appear like I was, um, you know, publicly intoxicated. So I kept trying to seem like I wasn't drunk. So I was just standing by the magazine rack, kind of like looking at the magazines and nodding. You know, the, hmm, that's a lot of magazines. And that is what Legolas is doing the entire way through all three films is he's looking at the magazines and going, hmm, interesting. Oh, there's a magazine in this pharmacy. You know, you never see him sleep. So maybe he's just up all night getting absolutely phased. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he was indulging a bit along the way just to keep his sanity. I mean, there's some people that you need to be drunk around <laughs> but the, like there's the other thing as well is uh when they're on um the mountain um on Caradras, where there's like just all the snow and you know Boromir is holding on to two hobbits and um Aragorn is holding on to the other two and they're striding through the snow as hard as they possibly can they're going we we can't go the whole way up this mountain the hobbits are going to die and Legolas is just walking on top of the snow and not sinking into it, just going dee 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 dee. It's snowing now. Wow. I'm so drunk. I'm weightless. <laughs> he's not even trying to help them out of the snow. Oh my God, Sinead, do you think he's called Legolas because he was legless? <laughs> that is a very common joke, but um, it's entirely possible. But no, his legs are in uh, good good working order. Uh, because he's able to walk on top of that snow but like he's just completely and utterly oblivious but then when it comes time to do the shooty thing um i mean you you could argue well he he can't possibly be drunk he shot all those orcs when they were coming after him he's uh you know he's a very highly skilled warrior but i mean if you're very competent at something you can do it while you're drunk yes (laughs) you shouldn't but you can um, I can attest that before, like, I, I stopped drinking alcohol quite a long time ago, but when I used to get absolutely plastered uh, back when I was in college and stuff, I can confirm you can do quite a lot of things if you're well-practiced on it while completely out of it. Big time, yeah. Um, please take note that we do not advise doing things oh, while you are incapacitated. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's um, not a good idea. No, it, you really should. Um, for most things in life, you should try and keep a clear head. Obviously, Legolas' story is a cautionary tale. Because even though he is very competent shooting down the orcs and the elephant guys that they don't call elephants, even though they're clearly elephants. Um, elephants. Huh? They're elephants. Olifants. Yeah, you have to say it with an accent. Yeah, they also but call the basically elephants, but elephants. Yeah, they also call them mumakils, but I think that's a different dialect. Um, and and I know this because I used to know a guy that was so into Lord of the Rings that he rewrote the entire series in Elvish. Okay then. It's beautiful <laughs> when he was finished with it. Um, but anyway, uh, like. You know, he is hyper competent because he's an elf and he's been around for millions of years. So shooting things is probably just like tying your shoelaces to him. 
So he's, you know, he is hyper competent because he's an elf. But you can imagine if there were any other elves on that trip, they would know that Legolas has just fallen all over the place. Like they would twig it, one hundred percent. Because everybody else would be just so in awe of him doing el- normal elfy things that they probably don't. Notice. Yeah. Kim would just like. What are you doing, you mess? <laughs> Big time. It's it's like when, you know, when you do something in front of a child, like, you know, making origami cranes. Like, I remember um, last, yeah, it was last year I was in a restaurant with um, two girls and one of them had brought her little sister with her. Little sister was five. And uh, I'd gotten, like, I took the top off of my straw, like this is um, the little bits of paper on top of the straw. And then I figured, do you know what? I'm going to see how small I can make an origami crane. So I did it with this tiny piece of paper. And then I just handed it to her. And she looked at me like I had performed some sort of miracle. (laughs) You're a wizard, Sinead. (laughs) You're going to go to Hogwarts. You're going to do spells. Deal with it. No, no, I'm I'm not going there. Um... But it's just that kind of way, you know, when you're like a normal human being or you're a hobbit and you don't spend a lot of time around elves, Aragorn probably knows that Legolas is just absolutely messed up. But, yeah. it, <laughs> but you know, that's his bro. He's He needs to take care of his bro. Legolas is going through some things. Just leave him off. He hasn't hurt anybody. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But you know, probably what's really sad is maybe Legolas is trying to keep up with his um his dad's legendary party atmosphere. He'll never be like the dad on the white stag. What a boss. <laughs> but you know, the dad is a legendary party animal. You know, dwarf racist party dad. <laughs> I loved that meme so much and I still do but it's just like you know there was a load of comics that came out in the aftermath of it and it's just Legolas trying to be as cool as his dad and failing (laughs) but it's like you know maybe he thought that uh, this mission was going to be great because it was going to get him some cred with his dad it's just like oh yeah we walked to a a volcano we tossed a ring into it it's brilliant and then all of a sudden he's just killing orcs and he's watching humans die. And now he's in a hall with a bunch of horse lords and it smells bad. And he just wants to go home so bad. And everything was in fact not great crack. <laughs> exactly. This was his Vietnam. Oh God almighty. <laughs> um, with that, I think we should end. No, you just refer to Lord of the Rings as Nam. <laughs> oh, God. So, like, um, Return of the King was like his version of Platoon. <laughs> or, or Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Could you just see him on a boat going down the river and writing in his diary about how messed up everything is? It's like, uh, Boromir died yesterday. He took three hours to the chest. There's these goblin-looking guys after us. I want to go home. I am in physical and irreparable pain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but watch the series. Like, watch Lord of the Rings to the Return of the King with this in mind and just imagine uh, this is the end playing in the background the whole time.
Oh my god, it'd be great if somebody could do an Apocalypse Now edit of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> A TikTok. <laughs> this is the end. Beautiful friend, the end. Okay, we had better stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> the end. That's it. We're never doing a podcast again. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> We've officially gone too far. Anyway, um... This episode has basically just been a very chill one where we've been... I don't feel very chill! Sinead is not okay. Um, I'm hiding my not okayness the same way as Legolas was hiding his not okayness as I try and sign off on this episode. <laughs> so, we have been uh, Crackpot Theories. We're on Twitter and Buzzsprout and iTunes and Spotify and all of those wonderful places and Sinead stop laughing <laughs> um, please uh, send flowers to Sinead's funeral because she's clearly died <laughs> um, thank you so much for watching listening, watching and uh, please talk to us on Twitter if you have any theories of your own that you'd like to share just uh, shoot them to us we'd love to hear them we'd love to talk to you about it uh, as I said we're on iTunes we're on Spotify we're on Buzzsprout we're on a load of different places and um, I've been Circa uh, Sinead is dead now and uh, <laughs> no, the truth I... is out there and um, they're probably much drunker than you think goodbye <laughs> <laughs> goodbye <laughs> oh. Ow. Goodbye. <laughs>